0: I grew up in Colorado Springs, and I do remember when I was a teenager, there was a big youth rally from teenagers all across the city, and the speaker was a pastor, and I don't remember even who he was or what church he was from, but I remember the story he told, It' been a true story, about a time when someone had called him up at their church and said, hey, can I meet with a pastor? said, sure. So the guy said, oh, come meet me at McDonald's. And there at McDonald's, this pastor walked in, and as he came in, he saw the guy sitting in a booth, motioning him for him to come over. So when the pastor sat down in the booth, the man across from him said, I have a gun pointed at you. And I want to know, are you a Christian? Could you imagine that? And this was the question poised, posed by this, this speaker. He said, if someone pointed a gun at you, what would you say? Would you risk your life to stand with Jesus? And of course, uh, the the man actually didn't shoot him. Obviously, the guy was still alive to tell us about the story. He said the guy, when he responded, yes, I am. The man said, oh, I just wanted to make sure you're one of the real ones. I want to make sure you're one of the real ones. So that was the question poised to us. And I remember thinking about it, like, would I be able to do that if I stood And my life was on the line, and I remember it being particularly vivid because this was right around the time of Columbine. Do you remember that? And there was a young teenage girl who was asked, basically, are you a Christian, and then was shot because of it. So it was very vivid in my memory (laughs) that would I be able to stand like that if my life were on the line, if I would be thrown into the fire or killed because of it? And that's the question that's going to face Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego today in in Daniel chapter three. But I think if we've been Christians for a while, maybe we've thought about this question and, and, and very few people among us have actually experienced this. Although I know some people in our church come from other nations where they have felt this kind of persecution. And it does happen around the world. We'll talk about it a little bit in our message. That there are many of our brothers and sisters around the world who face this every single time they go to church. Will they be killed? But even if you get to the point where you're like, I think I would do that. If my life were on the line, I would stand with Jesus. The question I want to ask you today is, what about if you back up a few steps? What if instead of like your life is on the line, but it's more just the social pressure that you might lose a friend or two, or you might be excluded from your friend group, or your school or workplace will say things about you, or your professor or your teacher might make fun of you in front of the whole class? Or what about if you might lose a promotion or a job because of standing for your faith? Would you stand with Jesus? So the question I want to pose to you today that I want you to think about is will you stand with Jesus no matter what's on the line, no matter what's on the line? So we're going to see this as we open up the book of Daniel to Daniel chapter 3, and this series I've called Thrive in the Fire, and this message this week is not just fire metaphorically, but it's literal fire. As we'll see, this is a powerful um, book and a powerful chapter, so if you can, open up with me to Daniel chapter 3, if you have a physical Bible, if you have your phone, you can use the Uversion Bible app, and we, if you go to the bottom right-hand corner, there's a the More button, and then right in the middle it says Events. Search for Rise Church Denver, and you will see our, the verses and the notes you can take and save right there on your phone. We're going to start in chapter 3, verse 1. In, uh, so in Daniel 3, 1, we read this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 hubi- cubits high, that's 90 feet, and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So King Nebuchadnezzar is the the emperor of the Babylonian Empire, which spread across the Middle East and had, as we've seen, even took over Israel and Judah, uh, the, the land where God's people lived, and took those people as slaves, as prisoners, and so they were going to live as exiles in Babylon. The whole metaphor that we've been talking about in this series is that God's people don't always live in an empire that agrees with them. And we've been saying that in our country today, though the majority of people say they're Christians, only about 10% are practicing Christians based on a very limited number of criteria, 10%. So we as followers of Jesus now are very much in the minority, and the majority view in our country is opposed to what Christians believe. So we are a cognitive minority in our country, and therefore we have to learn how to thrive in the fire, thrive in Babylon. And we see here King Nebuchadnezzar, who thinks he's all that, and a bag of chips, builds a giant statue. Now we're not told whether this image, this statue, was an image of him or one of his gods, but either way it was about him, right? He's like, look at what I have done, I've accomplished. Everybody look at this giant statue I've made, and he's going to ask everybody to come and bow down before it, to worship it. Now, in case you're just thinking, well, this is something that happened thousands of years ago, you just look around our world, and you will see giant golden statues everywhere. Okay? So look in, in, here. Maybe you've seen this statue. North Korea. Look at all those people bowing down to it. Kim Jong-il. Let's look at this next one. Turkmenistan. The president made a golden statue of himself. Everybody has to come, worship it. Look at the next one. That's Chairman Z in China. Let's look at this next one. Maybe you've seen one of these, a giant golden statue of Buddha. This one's in Thailand, and it, it towers 300 feet tall. In case you think Bab- Babylon's is tall enough, 300 feet golden statue. Or see this next one in the United States. Maybe you've seen one of these golden statues of Moroni. Or maybe you've just seen this one. <laughs> it might be uh, more brass. But yes, there are a lot of people who worship that statue, right? To make a dollar. And they have sacrificed their families and their kids on the altar to the almighty dollar. The point is that people still make these kind of images and want other people to worship them. Now I want you to notice one more thing in verse 1 that I find very insightful says that Nebuchadnezzar was going to set up this image on the plain of Dura. Now, archaeologists always want to try to find out where is this, like where is the location of this. But what I find is so fascinating is that it says the plain of Dura. Because if you go back to Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us about the location of this plain. I want you to see this, and you see this in the ESV. In the NIV, they've actually just had this as a footnote, so I wanted you to see this in the ESV. It says that Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. Do you know what those vessels were made out of? Anybody? Gold. The king, the emperor, took all the gold from the temple. Where do you think he got the gold for his giant gold statue from? This is gold that had been dedicated to our God. And then it says, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. In The land of Shinar. So we are told that this emperor of Babylon set up a giant statue on the plain of Shinar. There is one other place in the entire Bible that it talks about the plain of Shinar. I don't think it's a coincidence. There's no coincidences in the Bible, okay? Every detail matters. Because if you go back to Genesis chapter 11, this is what we read. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in where? Shinar, and settled there. Do you guys know what happens in this chapter? I want to show you this. In verse 4 of Genesis 11, it says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. This is the tower of what? Babel. It's the tower of Babel, and now they are in the exact same location building a giant statue in Babylon. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think we're supposed to catch this reference if we're watching closely. Because what we're reading here is that just like in Genesis 11, all the people came together and thought they were all that, built a giant statue to show how great they were so that they could worship themselves. That's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here, and that's what Babylon's do. Look at us, we have progressed so far, we know so much, we are the kings of the world. We are the kings of the world. So that's the setting. And then it says in verse two what happens. Nebuchadnezzar then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come up to the dedication of the image he had set up. In case you're wondering what all these positions are, nobody knows. That's kind of how it goes with government bureaucracy. Everybody's got a title. Nobody knows what they're doing. (laughs) Verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed. Loudly proclaimed. Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, this is the full symphony plus the 100-person choir, right? Okay, This is a fancy worship service. It says, when you hear that music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Worship the image. Honor Babylon and the king. Now, this is important. Because God gave like a top 10 rules. Do you guys know this? 10 commandments. Okay, he's like, here's the top 10. Do you know what number one is? You shall have no other gods before me. One God. Do you know what number two is? You shall not worship or make any image of a god. Even of him. Did you know our God says you can't make an image of him? That's why in our building, you don't see any statues, do you? You don't see any images. Because our God is spirit, and he already made an image. Do you know what it is? He made us. He made mankind in his image. Male and female, he created them. We don't need to make images because we look around us, and we can see people who are created by God and deserve dignity and respect. Okay? That's why we don't need any images. We don't worship with images. So Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon right now are breaking the first two commandments and ordering every religion everywhere To break those. And this is especially hard for those who are Bible believing followers of God. How do we do this? How do we reconcile bowing down and not? This is really asking them are you going to put your faith where your mouth is, right? Because Nebuchadnezzar says what happens if you don't do what he says. He says in verse 6. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Be thrown into the fire. Maybe this was the furnace where they melted the gold, meaning it would have gotten up to about 2,000 degrees. It's a very hot furnace. You'll get thrown in there, executed, be thrown in the fire. If you do not, bow down. So if you break the commands of your God, Jewish men and women and children, you will live but if you don't, you'll be thrown in the fire. Do you see how this, will you stand with God? Will you stand with Jesus, what I'm talking about? This is the literal question put before them. Now, I'm sure there are many Jewish men and women who are like, God will forgive me, bow down, right? Like, I'm not actually worshiping in my heart, so I'm not, it doesn't really matter, right? What, what, what people, I just got to make sure I get through today. I know this because we're only told about three people who didn't do it. And there were way more than three people, probably thousands of Jews who were in Babylon as exiles at this time. But there's three that we're going to see today who would not bow. They would stand while everybody else, thousands upon thousands of everybody who's anybody, bows down. Now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the name given to three of God's people who had risen up in the rank, and because of their wisdom, because of their knowledge, because of their faith in God, they had risen to the point of being advisors to the king. Now, in this chapter, it's interesting. We're not told about Daniel at all. He's the hero of like every other story of this entire book. But in this chapter, he's not mentioned. People wonder, well, that does that mean he didn't bow? Probably not, because he's going to face even worse, right, for standing faithfully for God. Probably he's, since he's the top advisor, he's probably still in the palace or doing something on a special mission for the king. He's not there in this great, giant festival and parade. But everybody else bows down except For three men. For three men. And they do it even though they'll face the fire. And I find this interesting. So there's music playing. It's probably cheering, clapping, right? They're bowing down. This is a great parade, showing how great the king is, setting up this giant statue, the tallest statue they have probably ever seen. Wow, it's incredible, right? This is what you do. You celebrate. And what's interesting is that that same thing kind of happens today. And I wanted to tell you this. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was... um, A man who kind of came out against the Soviet Union when they were at the peak of their power. And he writes in one of his books, after he was put in prison because of what he uh, spoke out against with the Soviet Union. And he writes this story about a man because um, in the 1930s with Joseph Stalin, there was uh, a big assembly that was gathered together. Everybody who's anybody was there. And at the end of it, they stood to applaud Joseph Stalin. So, everybody, thousands of people are cheering and clapping as loud as they can. Can you just imagine that? Everybody's got their smile on their face. Yeah, Comrade Stalin, so great. And they keep clapping for two minutes, for three minutes, for four minutes. And people start to look out around at each other because nobody wants to stop clapping, right? They just keep clapping. And people's arms are starting to get a little tired as they get to minute five, six, and seven. People are starting to feel a little weak, and they're like, okay, can we keep this up, these fake smiles? How long can we smile and pretend as we're clapping for Comrade Stalin, the emperor, right? And they keep clapping. Finally, at minute nine, some of the older people are struggling, but they're still up there. I can't be the last one. And then finally, at minute 11, there was an elderly man who was the director of a paper company, and he stopped and sat down. Couldn't take it anymore. And then abruptly, everybody else sat down too. Right? Well, they took that man and they arrested him. And they interrogated him. And they found him guilty of all sorts of crimes so that he got arrested for 10 years. And on his interrogation papers, Solzhenitsyn records that they wrote, don't ever be the first to stop applauding. Don't ever be the first to stop applauding. Because everybody else is just going along with what the empire is saying. Just keep applauding. That's what everybody's doing. Yeah, we got to go with this. we got to go with the flow of whatever is happening in the world. And that's what was happening in Nebuchadnezzar's day. There was, I'm sure, other people that belonged to different faiths, and they're down bowing too. Because what the empire does is they say, it's fine if you have your other gods. Do whatever you want on Saturdays or Sundays. Go, go worship however you want. But you also have to worship us. And our way is the right way. And you have to follow it. That's what's happening here. They could care less if you, who they were worshiping on Saturdays, but when the statue's there, you better bow down. And it's the same thing with our society. Go do whatever you want on Sundays. Just make sure you have a reversible jersey on. So when you go out into the world, you can just go along with everybody else and what they're saying and the morality of the day. And I think that... Uh, I got a quote from Star Wars. <laughs> I think uh, Senator Amidala was right when she said, this is how liberty dies, with thunderous applause. With thunderous applause. Everybody's going along with it, right? We all agree. Babylon is right. And this is an interesting fact because we're, we are talking about God's people, the Jews today, and, and for those who are followers of Jesus, Christians. But we actually believe as Christians that religious liberty should go for everybody. Don't we? That everybody should have the right to practice their religion. It's not just the freedom to worship in your synagogue or your temple or your church. It's freedom to practice your religion in the world all the time. I don't know if you guys knew this, but that's the first, first uh, the Bill of Rights. The first right. Very first one. The freedom to practice your religion. And we believe that for everybody. And yet, When there's a dominant structure they think we have progressed we are in charge we know better than you so conform sometimes or die or die and the question comes to us will you stand with Jesus will you stand with Jesus so these three guys don't stand Shadrach Meshach and Abednego and it says in verse 8 at this time some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews and yes this is anti-Semitism. Okay? All the Jews are in the wrong because there's these three guys. And in case you're thinking that is just an ancient problem, obviously you haven't seen what's on Twitter from NBA players and rappers nowadays. Those of you guys who know what I'm talking about. Okay? Anti-Semitism is a real and alive and active, and it's a terrible thing. They denounce the Jews. So much so that in verse 13... It says that furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? They are coming to get interrogated, right? This is now their life on the line. Will you bow or will you burn? And he says in in verse, he gives him another chance. And at the end of verse 15, he says, you can bow down, but if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. See the pride here? God can't help you. I am more powerful than God. And I have your life in my hand and I can throw you into hell. That's what a God does. That's what people do. When they rise up and they rise up, they put themselves in the place of God. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar has done. And yes, he is saying, I will burn all the Jews in a furnace. Sound like anyone else from history? Sounds like Hitler, right? In case you're wondering, Satan has a very limited number of plays, and he just runs his playbook over and over and over again. Their lives are on the line, and they will be thrown into a fiery furnace, into a fiery furnace. Now, if you had looked back in chapter 1, and we saw this in verse 1, that it said that God gave his people into exile. He was actively in control. And when we go into the fire, God is there, deliberately allowing these things to happen. And you may wonder, why would God allow his people to be persecuted like this, to be under threat? Even to their lives. Why would God allow his people to go into the fire like this? And it's because the fire, yes, it burns, but it also refines. There is a refiner's fire that God puts us through to see if we will truly stand with him in faith. Peter, writing to Christians, that's to us, in 1 Peter 4.12, and this is the letter, remember, that he starts out by saying, to the exiles, and at the end he says, from Babylon, even though he was in Rome, Okay. So this, we got to take notice of this Christians. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised by the fire. It's coming to test you, he says. To test your faith. And this is a theme running throughout the Bible. In Psalm 66, it says, For you, God tested us. You refined us like silver. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. Or in Isaiah 48, 10, God says, see, I have refined you though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. He puts us through trials. He puts us through persecution to see if we have true faith. Peter writes at the opening of his letter in 1 Peter 1.7, he says, These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's saying you're going to be tested in the fire to see if your faith is real. Because if it's not, it will be burned up and gone. But if it is, a refiner's fire gets rid of all the impurities of everything that isn't true, and you're only left with what is most valuable, true and pure. That's what God is doing to His people here, and He will do to us too, no matter where on the spectrum of that persecution it comes. And make no mistake, we will be persecuted. Jesus promised you will be hated, you will be persecuted. Paul said, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's going to happen whether it's ostracism and being kicked out of a friend's group or whether it is your life is on the line. Whether your life is on the line. That's what happens. So that's when they do that. Um, It says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse 16. Now they're standing before the king. Your life's on the line. Which will you choose? Will you stand with God or will you not? Verse 16 says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. We can't defend ourselves. We're pleading guilty. And I want you to notice how respectful they're going to be. Because God's people are not to be persecuted because they're mean jerks and rude. Okay? You still have to show love and respect. In fact, we're commanded to honor the emperor. We're supposed to show respect. But that's what they do. But they know... That there is a king above all kings, and a law above all laws. And even though King Nebuchadnezzar had said, you must bow down to worship this idol, God has said no, and his law is above their law. And this is important, guys. Might does not make right. Majority does not determine morality. And society doesn't get to set the standard of right or wrong. You guys hear me on this? This is true. I don't care if our city says that magic mushrooms are legal. doesn't mean they're good for you or right got to think about it a little more than that. Just because our society has defined something, if the Bible defines it a different way, we go with the Bible. That's what we have to do. So that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are willing to do. And they say this in verse 17. They say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's, see that respect, from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. We're not going to bow. We are going to stand with God, come what may. Come what may. And this persecution is so clear. And I want you to know that Christians all over the world are being persecuted. Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. And every year for the last 20 years, there's been an average of 100,000 Christians killed for their faith. What they're experiencing right now is reality for our brothers and sisters around the world. And it's happening even in places like this book took place in modern-day Iraq, or I'm sorry, what is now modern-day Iraq. Did you know ISIS (laughs) killed a lot of Christians in modern-day Iraq? If you saw this a few years ago, that's what they did immediately when they came in. They killed or kicked out all the Christians. Over 100,000 Christians fled from just one city in Iraq, near where this took place. And ISIS is continuing to do that today. You think they're defeated, but just this summer, there was a two-month span where they, in Africa, killed 190 Christians. Two months. One out of nine Christians worldwide experience high levels of persecution. One in six in Africa, and one out of three... In Asia. There was a report coming into this year saying that this year there is the highest level in all of human history recorded of persecution against Christians. That some 360 million Christians will face high levels of persecution in our world today. So it is a reality that people will have to decide, will I stand with Jesus or will I die? Because if you stand with Jesus, you may lose your life. You may be attacked. And though the persecution in our country may feel softer than that, we have to make the same decision. Will you stand with Jesus? Will you stand with Jesus? But did you notice what they said? Even if he doesn't come, we're still not going to (laughs) bow. Because they knew that God was way more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar. And even if they should burn in the flames, as many, sadly, Christians do, even if they do, they will rise. If we stand with Jesus, we will rise. And that's why Justin Martyr, one of the first martyrs for Christianity, he wrote a letter to the emperor as he was facing persecution, and he said this, You can kill us, but you cannot hurt us. You can kill us, but you cannot hurt us. Because our God is even stronger than the grave. Even stronger than the grave. So they make their stand, right? They will not bow. They will stand with Jesus. They will stand with God. Because of that, they get thrown into the fire. They get thrown into the fire. It says in this passage that the strongest men, so these are the guys with no necks, right? Okay, these guys grab them, bind them up, their hands And fully clothed, they throw them into the furnace. And it says that Nebuchadnezzar was so mad, he's like, turn up the furnace seven levels, okay? This is like turning your amp to 11. Like, it's not even possible. They're like, get it as hot as you can get. 2,000 plus degrees, this furnace. And as these uh, soldiers are trying to throw them in real quick, they get so close to the flames that the guys throwing in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego burn up. It's that hot. And these three men are thrown into it, and Nebuchadnezzar is sitting there on his throne watching the whole thing happen. But then he says he stands up immediately because he sees something in the flames, in the fire, and he talks to his advisors. He says, didn't we throw three guys in there? And they're like, yes, we did, sir. And he says, then why do I see four people walking around? Why are there four people in the furnace? What's going on? And the fourth one looks like the sons of the gods. He's shining, and it says they're walking around in there. I found this so fascinating, I've been thinking about it all week. Like, why are they walking around in the flames? It's like they're just chilling, like, hey guys, let's go on a walk. And I really thought about this, because I was like, what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, do you know in the Bible, this is my guess, the very first time it says that God was with human beings was in Genesis chapter three, and do you know what he was doing? He was walking in the garden. When God comes down among us, he walks with us. That's what Jesus did. He didn't just stay up on high. He didn't even just come to observe from a close distance. No, he came and walked among us in our shoes. And that is what Jesus is doing here. Almost all Christian theologians say that this is Jesus before he ever became human, in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that's why he looks like a God, because he is. God in Jesus Christ is there in the fire with them. And this is what we can learn from this story, guys. Stand with Jesus, and he will stand with you. You stand with Jesus. You might get thrown into the fire. You may face persecution. You may face death, but Jesus will stand with you. He'll be there with you in it, struggling through it with you. And you can know that he will be with you at your side through every affliction, through every trial. Jesus is with you. He's God with us. He's with us in the fire. If you stand with Jesus, he will stand with you. So the emperor, he yells. He's like, get out of here, guy. Get out of that fire. And they come out, and there's only three of them. But guess what? They're bo- where they had been bound in, the ropes that had burned off. But their clothes weren't even singed. Their hair hadn't been singed at all. And they didn't even smell like the fire. If you've ever been around a campfire for five minutes, you smell like fire, right? But these guys went in the fire, and they don't smell like fire at all. This is a miracle from God. He was with them, and he protected them. His hand was way stronger than Nebuchadnezzar's. He rescued them. He rescued them from the fire. So I want to tell you, Jesus stands with you in your fire, whatever you're facing. And this is for way more than just persecution. But he's testing you through this stuff. When it gets hard to be a Christian... That's the fire. It's coming on you to test you, to refine you, to see will you stand with him. Will you have the reversible jersey? Sundays, I raise my hand, and then the rest of the week, I keep my head down. Somebody says something about Jesus and mocking them, I just stay quiet in the background. He also comes to refine us against split personality disorder, okay? I know some of you guys got it. I I did it as a teenager. Christian on Sundays, Christian at youth group Wednesday nights. But at school, act completely different. Split personality. God will put us in the fire to refine us of that. Will we be true to him with our faith at all times? Because that's the faith that is like gold and valuable. If you're willing to stand with Jesus, no matter what comes. No matter what comes. But remember, if you stand with Jesus, he will stand with you. It's always worth it always worth it because Jesus, Jesus didn't just come down to stand in the fire. He took the fire for us. Do you guys know this? Jesus actually references this chapter of Daniel in his teaching. Did you know this? He quotes this passage. I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 13. He says, this is how we'll be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. There will be a judgment and throw them, the wicked, into the blazing furnace. Same phrase. Fiery furnace. Into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For those who choose not to follow Jesus, they are the ones who will face the flames. And those who stand with Jesus, even should they die in the flames, will live forevermore with him. Yeah. Because Jesus is the one who didn't just stay in heaven. But he is the son of God and he came down. He walked among us. He loved us. He served us. And he still suffered at the hand of the Babylonian empire of his day, of Rome. They whipped him. They tortured him. They mocked him. They spit on him. They made him carry a cross so that he would face execution for not bowing down to them. And on the cross, when he was there, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I believe in that moment he faced what hell is like. Separation from God. He faced the fires. So if you believe in him, you don't have to. And it's through our faith in him that we escape the flames. And our faith is genuine because we have trusted in Jesus. So that's why we stand with Jesus, because he stood in the fire for you. He stood in the fire for you, and he's worth worshiping. He's worth standing with no matter what comes. No matter what comes your way. So I hope and pray that none of you will face a time where someone puts your life on the line to follow Jesus, but it might happen. I know some people in our church are from nations around the world where they have faced that. But we will face persecution in our country as it gets more and more non-Christian. They want us to conform to their morals, to their way of doing things. they'll say, you can do whatever you want on Sundays. The rest of the week, we're more progressive. We're the God. We're the king. We're the empire. We have to decide. Will you stand with Jesus and face the flames or not? It's the question. I want to ask you that today because I hope that you will choose to stand with Jesus. Because that, if you're willing to do that and you're saying, whatever comes, I will stand with Jesus. I want you to stand on your feet right now. If you're willing to take that stand, let's do it. Let's stand up. Lord God, we stand with you, we stand with Jesus, even though it's hard, even though we face persecution, even though we're hated, but Lord Jesus, they hated you, they persecuted you, they killed you, and we follow you. You're our master, we will go where you go. We will stand with you. Lord Jesus, help us to do it with respect, with honor, with love and kindness, even as we are hated. Lord Jesus, help us to stand with you, come what may. Now, if you're here and you've been wearing that reversible jersey, or you've been like, yeah, I kind of agree with Christianity, but, but I don't know. But you're ready to make that stand today. Maybe it's time for you to, to, to once for all truly declare Jesus to be your king. And I want to give you the opportunity to do this by repeating a prayer after me. It's a simple way to make Jesus your king and to follow him. To receive his gift of eternal life. So um, if you're already a follower of Jesus, say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody around you who needs to pray it for the first time. So would you please bow your heads and close your eyes with me and please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Save me. Forgive me. In faith I declare, Jesus is King. Give me the gift of of eternal life. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you and stand with you, come what may. Now we wanna celebrate with you if you made that decision for the first time. So with eyes closed, if you made that decision today, I want you to put your hand in the air on the count of three. One, two, three. Put your hand in the air if you made that decision. We'll celebrate with you. Praise God for those making the decision you will reign with jesus forever and ever on high and lord god we celebrate that that because jesus rose from the dead we too will rise to stand with him to reign with him the king of kings and lord of lords who not only loves us from heaven but came down to be with us in the fire and when we worship you lord we know that you are the other one another in the fire we worship you amen